This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. With me are my esteemed colleagues, Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolf. We are coming to you from field level down in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, wrapping up Georgia's 27-24 loss to number 8 Alabama. Georgia loses the SEC championship game. Very tight game that honestly was not decided until the final minutes. Jalen Milrow and the Crimson Tide proved too much. We're going to wrap up this game, talk about what happened, what made the difference, and what's going to be next for Georgia. Kip, I'm going to start with you, and then Ben, when he gets done, feel free to jump in. But what are your immediate takeaways from how this game played out and the fact that Georgia's win streak has ended at 29 games? Well, I think we learned more about Alabama, really, than we did Georgia in this game. Uh, I know Kirby Smirts talked about this Georgia team being able to take a punch in the mouth, but I think it was the Crimson Tide tonight to prove they could take multiple punches and, and hang in there and maybe take punches better. It was a game that started out with – Georgia scoring on you know uh, its first possession, Alabama going uh, three and out twice, and I, I think you saw the adjustments made at that point by Alabama kind of proved to be the difference in the game. They were able to kind of clamp down on defense and keep Georgia from scoring a touchdown for two entire quarters. The second and third quarter, I think Georgia went uh, nine minutes in the first quarter on their first touchdown, didn't score a touchdown again until the fourth quarter. It was a game of adjustments. It was a chess match, and it was a reminder that Nick Saban's a pretty damn good uh, football coach, and this Alabama team was, uh, you know, one that probably Kirby Smart stayed up late at night thinking about for a lot longer than he was willing to admit. I think in games like this, it really comes down to who makes the mistakes and who doesn't. I mean, the talent gaps are so close. The, the play on the field, the caliber of coaching is so close. And then you look at, you know, at the end of this one, Georgia is the one that has the turnover inside the, the you know, Alabama red zone. Georgia's the one that has the penalty on, on the field goal to start the game and, and ends up doinking it off the upright. And, I mean, that's a 49-yarder for Woodring. I, I don't put that one on him as much as him them losing that those five yards. But, I mean, that right there, it's only six points on the scoreboard, which obviously is enough to change the, the outcome of the game. But with, with the penalty or the turnover in the red zone, in Alabama's red zone, just giving them a free score. It just changed the entire complexion of the game. Georgia was playing from 10 points down pretty much from then on. Um, so I really think this one comes down to who made the mistakes and who didn't. Alabama just really didn't make many mistakes throughout this one. And Georgia didn't make many, but they, they made enough for it to count. Definitely. And to me, it's what Ben was just hitting on was I write a lot about when you talk about these SEC games against these top teams, margin for error. You do not have a lot of margin for error in games like this, and Georgia loses the turnover battle. Uh, you know, Georgia misses out on that opportunity with that field goal. I think if it's a 44 or 45-yard field goal, Peyton probably makes it. 
and they get moved back. Jared Wilson, you know, draws a false start. Uh, he has to kick it, and, you know, he doesn't make the kick, and uh, it winds up looming large a three-point loss. Uh, you know, it, let's talk a little bit about Jalen Milrow. You know, you look at his numbers. They're not incredibly, you know, drop, jump, uh, they don't jump off the charts. They, they're not crazy. 13 and 23 passing, 192 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, he rushed for 29 yards. A lot of those came on that last drive. You know, I think that Georgia sacked him. I think they wound up with four sacks. Uh, but he was able to make plays, and he extended drives. He deserves a lot of credit. I don't know if tonight was enough to get him to New York. You know, again, his numbers aren't off the charts. But Georgia knew that they were going to have to contain him and not allow him to create explosive plays. And Kip, you know, they they were able to make enough that they were able to win this game. Yeah, I think that's kind of the one of the main storylines and keys is this game was, uh, you know, Georgia was able to get stops on Jalen Miller early. But when, you know, it came to crunch time and they needed Jalen Miller to step up and he led them on like a 75-yard touchdown drive, I think he had a 90, like four or five-yard uh, scoring drive in the game as well. He made plays when his team needed it to. And I think Georgia's defense just kind of ran out of gas in the second half. I mean, they were starting to, you know, to get home a little bit and, and pressure him, giving Georgia's offense a chance to come back in the game multiple times. Uh, but at the end of the game, when they really needed the stops, he was able to ice the game again. I, I think this was kind of a, a huge statement game for Jalen Milrow. He came out of this, you know, just kind of making his own legacy. Uh, this was an Alabama team, again, that was kind of counted out uh, going into the season, that Texas loss. And, you know, people were not really talking highly on Jalen Milrow in the, early in the year. And here he is now, uh, you know, has a chance to kind of make a name for himself as, as one of the, you know, the most historic quarterbacks in program history for Alabama. Just to add on that real quick, Kip, you know, you saw the plays that Jalen made. That last drive, you know, I think that Tommy Reese deserves a lot of credit for some of the play calls. I think about the fake pitch where Jalen takes it, and I don't remember how many yards that play went for, but it was a huge play when Alabama is milking the clock and ultimately able to run the, the clock out. Um, a lot of big plays, uh, made plays with Isaiah Bond. Uh, Jermaine Burton, you know, him and Tresman Marshall made some big plays in this game. Tresman recovers the fumble on that end-around attempt um, that was bobbled. Or I'd have to look at a replay to see who really was at fault on that play between Carson Beck and Dylan Bell. But those guys, you know, made plays when they had to. Ben, what were your thoughts on what Jalen was able to do tonight and the fact that he was able to get Alabama over the top in this game? I mean, I've been saying all week that I thought that this game was going to come down to those, I was saying it third and painful, where it's it's third and short, third and medium, but because of Jalen Milrow's ability to escape the pocket, extend plays a little bit, maybe even scramble around, I thought Georgia did a really good job of preventing him from having any, you know, scrambles that killed you but he did pick up those chunk yards here and there on some first and ten second and tens to make it second and five second and six third and five third and six but I mean if you told me before the game that Alabama would have 306 yards of offense and they went three of 13 on third down I would have said Georgia won this football game so I think that there were a lot of things that Georgia did right to defend Jalen Milrow and that Alabama offense but I think when it comes down to it you look at those three and they went two for two on fourth down as well and those five situations those turned out to be pretty big I mean they extended drives they gave them opportunities to score touchdowns instead of field goals and so you know again you can look at it 
before the game, you might feel really good about it, but I think it's really painful looking at it now because, you know, it's just a couple plays here or there on third and fourth down probably made a difference in this one. Definitely. And, you know, you look at that after the fact. You know, we talked about the field goal, talked about the end around that was fumbled. You know, Xavier Story gets called for a horse collar. I didn't think, you know, seeing it live that it was a proper call. Um, I believe it was Jermaine Burton, right, guys, that had the catch in the first half mm-hmm. that looked like it hit the ground. The play was a Bond. Isaiah Bond. Isaiah Bond had it, and they did not review it. Uh, but that's the way it goes. I mean, you know, you're going to get calls here and there. There there was a play where I think that when I saw the replay, I think Jalen Milrow was still up uh, when Jalen Walker had the sack and they blew it dead. And he might have scored on that play had they not blown it dead. You know, there, there's calls both ways. I don't think if you're a Georgia fan, you can honestly say, oh, the refs screwed us. The refs are why we lost this game. No, the, there were, you know, in games like this, there's five or six plays that cut one way or another. And Alabama won more of those than Georgia did. Um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the offense and get y'all's thoughts. They started out, drove right down the field, 83 yards. And, I mean, I'll be honest, I was kind of watching that, especially after they got a three and out to start this game on defense and thought, Georgia's in really good shape. I mean, Georgia may build, you know, a two-touchdown, maybe a 17-point lead, a three-touchdown lead, and then it kind of petered out after that. Um, a little disappointed in how they ran the ball. I thought they tried to go east and west on, on Alabama way too much. And, and as much as – We've talked about this Alabama team's not as good as we're used to seeing, or maybe this defense is maybe more gettable. There's still so much talent on that side of the ball. You're not going to be able to run east to west, and I just felt like they sort of did themselves a disservice with some of the ways they tried to run the football on this team. Uh, Ben, what did you think just overall on how the offense operated some of the thoughts that I threw out there? Well, I think Kirby alluded to this in his post-game press conference, but it's hard to run the ball in Alabama. They got some big dudes on that defensive side of the ball, and I think that if you were asking Nick Saban, he probably said something really similar. I mean, I bet you because of how Georgia fans are feeling after this one, they might not be thinking that Georgia held Alabama to less than three yards per carry. I mean, Georgia rushed for two and a half yards per carry. Alabama rushed for 2.8 yards per carry. Neither team was effective running the football, and really, realistically, neither team was that effective moving the football in general. Again, it goes back to what I said earlier. I think that Alabama capitalized on the situation that they had to Georgia you know sputtered a little bit in the moments that they needed to to step up but um, you know I'm sure they would have loved to run the ball better but I don't know how much better you're running the ball against either this Georgia defense or that Alabama defense so the game begins I think Georgia averaged over 10 yards a play on that first drive but they lose a Marius Mims Mm. And then you're asking, and Kirby brought this up, you're asking Xavier Trust to, to go back out at right tackle. He's played there. You have to shuffle your offensive line again. I think at this point, you, you kind of lost your adrenaline. Like, they had the adrenaline rush. They're coming out there. Brock Bowers is out there. Lad McConkey's in the game. And I, I think at that point, you know, after the adrenaline wore off, you realize you had some really banged up football players out there, and you could see it. I mean, during warm-ups, you're like, okay, Brock looks like he's going to give it a go. Lad got the brace, but, you know, looks okay. But I think after that drive, you just saw them limping around the rest of the game, and you could clearly tell it was affecting Brock. I mean, we've always talked about how he's Superman, and he would have these mortal moments that looked rare. Uh, In this game, you you could see he was just fighting an uphill battle just to be on the field. And it did affect Georgia. You know, those were weapons that, you know, they needed in this game that we talked about, the margin of error being so thin. And they asked a lot of them to go out there and continue to play football when they weren't close to, I mean, 50% probably. But 
you know, they suited up and gave it their best. But I, you could tell it affected the offense. And you could tell that, I, you know, they probably knew after that first drive that the line of scrimmage battle is one that they are not looking favorably in on, on both sides of the ball. I think it, it now you, you go back and look at this roster and you're, you're like, you know, Georgia was getting by with some guys on the defensive front that weren't making a ton of plays. And the offensive line, you know, was playing musical chairs all year, and it kind of caught up to them when they were playing an elite, equal line of scrimmage uh, with Alabama. And I think that's that's kind of the one aspect where if you're Georgia and this team is completely healthy, you know, this game probably goes a, a different way. But they were not. They were banged up. Uh, if anyone's going to be able to tell you that injuries can have an impact on the game, it's probably, you know, Crimson Tide fans. And today – that day was for the Georgia Bulldog fans to sit there and wonder what could be. Shout out a few guys that stood out that I think eventually, you know, it's they're going to be forgotten because they lost this game. Anthony Evans' mm. punt return was huge. I, I don't know if they don't get that play. I'm not sure that it's as tight as it winds up being a huge punt return that gave Georgia a short field. Christian Miller played well, had a big play. Jalen Walker, mm. I continue to just wait for him to become that starter and, and become a guy that's going to make a lot of plays. Was very impressed with him. All right, guys, let's get to what is now on all Georgia fans' minds, which is the college football playoff. Kirby Smart took a big portion of his postgame press conference advocating that Georgia should still make the playoff. They go 12-1. and uh, You've got all the big ones they had over teams like Ole Miss, Missouri, at Tennessee, and then they played within three points of Alabama. I'll start it, guys. I don't think they make the college football playoff. I think just because of how tight – uh, this playoff is, and I should say, as we're recording this, Florida State's still playing. Uh, Louisville, Michigan's playing Iowa. Uh, you know, right now it looks like Florida State's leading by three. So if that game goes sideways, maybe you know, maybe Georgia can fight and find a way in. But I don't think Georgia makes the playoff. I think this was a game they could not afford to lose, especially with Alabama being a one-loss team. Uh, I'll start with you, Kip. What do you think? Does Georgia make the playoff? What is your takeaway on where they stand getting ready for Selection Sunday? I think that Georgia needs two upsets tonight uh, to know that they're going to be in this game. I I think as of right now, uh, I think Alabama's going to be in the college football playoff. I I think it's, you know, it's Florida State battling for that fourth spot. They really got to look impressive against this Louisville team tonight. And I think you go into Sunday thinking if you're Georgia, uh, if there weren't two upsets tonight, then we're probably looking at Orange Bowl or if not Cotton Bowl. Uh, I I think Georgia's outside the top four right now. Almost any other year, they'd still be in the college football playoff. It just ended up with several teams, probably six teams that have a case. And if, if you're looking at it, if you're a college football playoff committee, Good luck to you guys tonight. Should be a long night. You're hoping these games go chalk tonight, but if there's two upsets, then maybe Georgia has a shot. Ben? I don't see Georgia being in, and it's it's brutal. We were just talking about this before we, we turned on the, the recorder here, but to win 29 in a row, and I realize everything that happened like the last two seasons is irrelevant, but to win 29 in a row, go 12-0 and in the regular season, which – most of these teams that are we're having this conversation about did not do. Most of these teams went 11 and one. It, it's a painful conversation to have, but I think that, like Kirby was asked about in his press conference, it's a unique year. It's not often that 
we're sitting here on Saturday night of championship weekend, and there's six, and I, I would say Ohio State is not one of those teams, so I would say six teams that have a real legitimate case. Like, if you're Washington or Florida State or Texas right now, and you're listening to people try and make the argument for why Georgia or Alabama should be in over you, you're probably rolling your eyes. Now, I think that anybody that was in this building tonight looks and agrees with Kirby Smart in saying that two of the four best teams in the country were in Mercedes-Benz Stadium tonight, and I realize that the committee chair, that they say it's the four best teams. If It's not always just the best teams. We understand Georgia's going to be favored on a neutral side against every single one of these teams that we're talking about. I feel very confident in saying that. I think that ultimately deserving does come into it, and it is who do you think is the most – the best among the most deserving and there's too many conference champions that have the same record as georgia georgia doesn't have the head-to-head ticker that alabama and texas have so i just think it's going to be too tough i think the bigger conversation really becomes what does this mean for alabama because i know everyone thinks oh alabama they're alabama they get committee favoritism they win the sec i think we all agree they're one of the four best teams in college football but that head-to-head against Texas, I, I really do think matters. And I think that if that final spot comes down to those two, if Florida State get, wins and gets the three and it comes down to those two, I think we're looking at the SEC being left out of this thing. I think my official prediction, we were discussing this before we started recording, was Michigan one, Washington two. I'm going to say Texas three, and I'm going to say Alabama four. I think that Florida State, especially with the quarterback situation, which I don't think is fair, but – Somebody's going to get left out, and someone's going to say, we should have been there. And all we can say is, you got a case. But that's just sort of how this went. And, you know, I think we're in agreement that I don't think Georgia's going to be that team with the strongest argument. Uh, guys, look, let's get ready to wrap this up. I'll start with you, Kip. Any final thoughts on the playoff or just anything in general from what happened today and, and Georgia getting ready to turn the page to whatever comes next? If this was the last time we saw Lad McConkey and Brock Bauer stuff for Georgia, it was on a touchdown drive, and they both made uh, catches, uh, you know, when it matters most to get Georgia, you know, within position to have a shot to win this game against Alabama. I think Georgia fans just have to think about uh, what those two players did out there on the football field and what their careers at Georgia meant. I mean, uh, Kirby went on and on about them being warriors, and you know what? Uh, I cannot argue with them at all. Uh, those guys really embodied uh, the culture that Kirby Smart's built in this program. And look into the younger guys. They now, you know, he can show them, like, look at these guys and what they mean and what they put out there. They put, you know, team before me, which was, uh, you know, kind of their, their motto this year. Uh, I think now he can go into the offseason and, and really sell a lot of his players on just how much that means to Georgia. You know, I don't want to end this thing on too somber of a note, but I feel like this is probably about as bad as Georgia fans have felt in two years. In this exact moment two years ago um this one's probably a little bit more painful because i think in that one you at least knew there was an opportunity ahead of you that you were going to have you know we're sitting here on the field the night of the loss and i'm just sitting around looking at this building wondering when georgia is going to be able to beat alabama in this building and again i know that it's more complicated than that coaches would tell you none of that really matters but it just feels like It doesn't matter that Georgia won the national championship two years ago. They've never beaten Alabama in this building. If I'm not mistaken, Nick Saban's never lost an SEC championship game. Nine and one. Nine and one in an SEC championship game. So, yeah, I just – I'm looking around just wondering at what point will we be in this building and we we watch Georgia beat Alabama because no matter what happened in in Indianapolis a couple years ago, it just feels like Georgia still hasn't gotten that monkey off their back. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's something that Kirby Smart brought up to players this week. Kendall Milton told us during the week that, yeah, Kirby, you know, Coach Smart brought up that we've never beaten Alabama and Atlanta. We still haven't. And I know that uh, you know, Georgia fans should celebrate these last two years, but the fact remains that is something that they are still chasing. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. I would just tell everybody listening to keep an eye out these next few days because we're going to be looking out for portal news. Obviously, at noon Eastern time, we're going to look at the playoff committee, see what is decided. Uh, if Georgia does not make that playoff a little bit later in the afternoon, we should find out at their bowl destination and what will come next. Uh, we'll have an eye out for draft decisions, guys who decide to play in the bowl, guys who decide not to, and uh, there will be a ton of content, even though Georgia is more than likely not going to be playing in the college football playoff. We're going to wrap it up right there. we got to get out of here. I think they're about to lock us in uh, Mercedes-Benz, but I appreciate Ben and Kip for hanging out and uh, talking us through this game. Again, Georgia loses this one 27-24. End of probably a race for another national title, uh, but still plenty to write about, plenty to discuss in the days and weeks to come. So for Benjamin Wolk and Kip Adams, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody. Now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.